Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. You guys can have a seat. And we have a special, special gift of having Lori Short here with us this morning. So excited. A new old gift. Um, I was on staff here years ago, for many years actually, and uh, was so excited last week that Ocean Hills turned 25. Is that awesome? But we have been in a series, and if you recall, two weeks ago, John preached a powerful sermon. I was so bummed that the audio was not exactly great on listening uh, online, but it was so powerful on Jesus. And we have been in a series on back to basics. And so what I want to do for this final sermon in the series is step back from John's sermon and say, where do we actually hear about Jesus? So we're going to talk about this Bible that Luke Logan was so excited to get this morning. I mean, may we all have the spirit of Luke as we come to this word, right? I love that. I'm Luke, and I've been waiting for this since kindergarten. Anyway, I am so excited to preach on this word. I will tell you that when I became a Christian, which I talked about last time, uh, in my senior year, going to a Young Life camp. But a second very, very instrumental time in my walk with Christ was when I went to a conference in the 80s. And the guy that led this conference, it was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. So some older people in the room may recall. The person was Josh McDowell. He wore like a page boy haircut. He had 70s attire. But he was powerful in telling me some things that I really never knew about the Bible. And of course, I had already decided to follow Jesus. I had already decided that I believed in God. But to actually hear that there was some evidence, some facts about this that made this a trustworthy place for us to go, which is what Ocean Hills does week after week. It's not like we go, well, you know, we've been talking about the Bible for a while, so this week we're going we're gonna to choose another novel to talk to you guys about. We don't do that here because there's something very special about the Bible. And what I thought I'd actually give you some of the facts that I learned that day so long ago. Some of these might be old to you, but for me, they were just really helpful in understanding that the Bible has some credibility to it. And I've got them here. These are facts about the Bible. The first thing is that the Bible has been translated into 700 languages and has remained by far the best-selling book of all time. The Bible has sold 100 million copies every year. And I have a slide up here of the, the top five books. Don Quixote is next with 500 million total copies. Tale of Two Cities with 200 million total copies. 
Lord of the Rings, 100 million total copies, and then a few million books down the line is the last one on the list, which is actually not the top five list, but every girl can dream, can't they? Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's a book I just wrote. Anyway. Other historians corroborate history in the Bible. Josephus, maybe some of you have heard that name. He was a Roman historian and a Jewish scholar, and he lived in 37 AD. And he wrote about some of the events that we read about in the New Testament. So he corroborates what's in here. Tacitus is another one who was born 55 AD. Both of them refer to Jesus in their works as well. So that kind of gives some additional evidence that this actually was a person who lived here. Three major religions follow the Old Testament, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And of course, then Christianity also follows the New Testament, but half the Bible is followed by a huge amount of people in this world. Portions of the New Testament, this is something I never really thought about, but portions of the New Testament were circulating during the time of people who lived when Jesus did. So you start thinking about that. I mean, if something went around a contemporary novel and it talked about this person who had risen from the dead, those of us who had been there, if it didn't actually happen, then there would be people saying, well, no, 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 that didn't happen. That must be a fiction. But nobody said that. But here, oh, here's one more thing. When people swear to tell the truth in court, they don't put their hand on the Quran. They don't put their hand on the Book of Mormon. They put their hand on the Bible. And another thing that I was just thinking about is that when people swear outside of court, they don't usually say, Buddha, you know? And so you start thinking about that. Why, you know, why is it that the Lord's name is the name that is taken in vain? But the most compelling truth for me that day that I sat there in the 1980s was this. The Bible has 40 different authors. 40 different authors, some historians, some prophets, some fishermen, some kings, and some peasants who wrote over a thousand year period all about their experience with the same God. You start thinking about that. Would you trust a book that was written by one person and their idea of who God is or would you trust a book that was written by so many different people over such a long period of time, all talking about their experience with the same God? And for me, my money was on that. I thought, well, that is a book that I would choose to trust. But that's also what makes the Bible confusing because you're reading along and you're reading in so many different genres. There's letters in here, there's poems in here, there's history in here, there's genealogy that's a little bit boring in here. There's a lot of stuff in here. And I will tell you that if you start reading this book just like you would any other, like a novel, you will put it down in Leviticus. Just trust me on that. <laughs> you won't make it through. Because we need help to get through this book, and there is so much help. 
Now, even as I go through these facts, maybe some of you are saying, well, Lori, you're kind of old, you know, and the Bible's not that in anymore. Let me just tell you that my publisher published a book called The Bible Recap, and that podcast has just been downloaded 300 million times. And that's in this generation, ladies and gentlemen. This generation, 300 million people downloading The Bible Recap, which is really just a way to read the Bible. There's something about this word. But I will tell you that it's possible to pick up the Bible and read what's in it and not actually get it. I've given this illustration before, but it's been a long time, so it's worth repeating. There is a story about a prince who was kept from the throne, Prince of Granada, by some military coup. They did not want him to inherit the throne. So they put him away in solitary confinement. And he was at a place called the Place of the Skulls. And he was there for 33 years until he died. And he only had one book in his jail cell. And you guessed it, it was the Bible. So they went into his jail cell after he died, and they saw all over the wall there were little etchings. So they thought, oh my gosh, what kind of wisdom has this guy come up with from being with only the Bible for 33 years? And here are some of the things that they read. Ezra 7.21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except the letter J. The ninth verse of the eighth chapter of Esther is the longest. No word or name of more than six syllables can be found in the Bible. The eighth verse of the 97th Psalm is the middle verse of the Bible. Well, you're getting the point that obviously the point was missed in that jail cell. And I think that that is such a good illustration of how so many of us approach this text. But why we talk about this book and not any other book every Sunday that we come here at Ocean Hills and in churches all over the world is because it's not just about this book. It's what this book points to. Just as Cozy so eloquently said, this book is the story of God and humanity from the beginning of time, from creation. You can wake up and look at everything that just happened and say, well, you know, there's an explanation for all this. But I tell you what, I think it takes more faith to believe that, that all of the stuff that babies are born and miracles happen every day in nature and everything that we look at just happened over a course of molecules and all kinds of things that just happen together at the right time, or that there is a God who created us, who created this world, and who all throughout the Bible is wanting to have a relationship with us, so much so that he decided to come to earth himself. I always love that in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image and likeness. So from the start, God has been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. And then the Son came, Jesus, 
And in the New Testament, it tells the story of how Jesus came and he taught and he was a great man and he was really popular and then he was very unpopular. And then he died on a cross, not for anything he did, but for us. But that's not where the story ends. It keeps going. And he, ris he rises from the dead. And that is the reason that we can have hope beyond this world. And I mean, even just coming into this place today, knowing what's going on in this world, it's so hard and dark sometimes. And you know, there's a lot going on out here, but I know with some of you coming in here, you've got a lot going on in your own life that's dark. And yet we come to the God behind this Bible each week to hear from God's word about this God who loves us and has a plan for us that's beyond this world. And all of that is in this text. And so what I wanna do this morning, I mean, how do you preach on the Bible, really? I mean, the whole Bible, there's no way. But there is a verse that I wanna focus on, and it actually comes from a little book, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Timothy was his disciple, his, his number one guy that he wanted to tell everything to. And so when he's talking about God's word to Timothy, and you can find this verse, and I think we're going to have it up on the screen, 2 Timothy 3.16, here's what he says about the Bible. Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's pretty much a job description of this church every Sunday morning. This is what we're trying to do. So I want to just unpack this a little bit. God breathed. When Paul says this, all scripture is God breathed, what does that mean? What does it mean when Casey's up here leading us in worship and calling upon this spirit to come? God breathed means the spirit of God takes hold of you while you're reading this book, while you're singing these songs, while you're sitting in church, you are hearing something different than the person next to you because the spirit of God is at work in this place. You are being met in the story that you have because God knows your story. Maybe the rest of us don't know who you are coming into this place, but God knows how much you know, how much you don't know what your feelings are about him, what your feelings aren't about him. He knows everything about you and he wants to meet you in this place. God breathed means the Bible has the capacity to reach you in a way that other books don't reach you because it interacts with you because of the spirit of God. And you probably had that experience. You know, I had a, a seminary professor who described this, his name was Ray Anderson. I loved him so much. I barely understood anything he said, but when I could, it was awesome. He was so smart. But he talked about this when he was talking about preaching. He says, what happens to people is this agogic moment. And the agogic moment is you are saying something, but everyone's hearing something different based on the way the spirit of God is moving in your life. And so when you feel that, you know, we talk about the volume turn, turned up, that's the way I like to describe it, where you're all of a sudden reading something in the Bible or you're hearing something from the stage and all of a sudden you're like, that was for me. That was for you. 
That is the spirit of God. That is why this book is so unique and so different from other books because the spirit of God uses the words to speak to us. Well, the next thing that Paul says is it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. You know, we don't mind the teaching part, but the rebuking and correcting, not so much. I got to tell you, I'm not like a big fan of that. And I know that there are times when I'm reading something, and I don't know if you do this, but I'm like, I just want to wipe that verse right out of the Bible. I don't like that verse. How many of you don't like a verse in the Bible? Could I, am I the only one? Okay, yeah. All right, so, you know, that's what we do. And I was, this just happened to me a couple weeks ago. I'm in this devotional, and, and we got to this week where every single morning I was reading a verse about fasting. And I was like, I don't want to read about fasting because I don't want to fast. You know, whatever it is that God is doing in your life and moving and urging and inviting you to do, for some reason there's resistance at first. There is. Like, I feel like God is calling me to do this, but oh, I don't know if I can. There is resistance. There's freedom on the other side, but there's always resistance. But what we need to do is let this book mess with us. Instead of coming to this book with your agenda about what you want to hear and the verses you want to believe and the ones you don't, we don't get to pick and choose. We've got to sit before this word and let it mess us up. And if you don't understand something, then get help understanding it. And I'm going to give you a couple of ideas here at the end. But teaching, rebuking, and correcting is all part of what this word does. And then the third thing is training in righteousness so that the person of God will be equipped. There's actually something you're supposed to do after you read this. This isn't just like, guy, that was really good, the end. Anyway, no. No, no. In fact, James talks about this. James 1, 22. Here's what it says. I think we have the verse. Don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a person who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking goes away and forgets what he looks like. Sometimes I'd like to do that as I'm getting older, but, you know, or I want my mirrors far away. That's the thing as you get older, far away mirrors. But the truth is, that's what it's like when we hear all this stuff and go, what a great sermon, I'm so inspired, and then we go out and we don't live anything. In fact, I was at this one church, and I thought it was so great what they did. I was walking out, and just before I got to the door of the exit of the church, there was a huge sign over the exit, and it said, here is where church begins. That is how we have to live this life of faith. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything to anyone, especially not you. We have to actually live the stuff that's in here. So when you read things and you learn things and you start living them, that's where the Holy Spirit joins you and begins to grow you. And all of a sudden you see what it's about. It makes so much more sense. I mean, I believed in God a lot of my life before I actually made a commitment to Christ. I believed it didn't have anything to do with my life. But when I entered into a relationship with Jesus because of what I was reading in God's word, 
then the Holy Spirit began to work in me, and I actually began to walk with God. And that's what it's about. That is what we read about in this Bible. So it's meant to move us. So what I want to do now is just give you a couple of tips as you're coming to the Bible. Because as I said, it is really hard to understand all of this. You're reading a lot of stuff. And there are lots of great tools. I would recommend that you find a tool that you like, a devotional or maybe something like the Bible recap, a Bible reading plan, something that explains to you what's going on here. Because this really does have amazing continuity to it if you know how to read it. There's so much in here that is amazingly unified in pointing to this God. So much in the Old Testament that points to Jesus in the New Testament. Even there are so many Jews that have come to know Jesus because they've been led through the Old Testament. Because as you look back, you can see so much more. I always say, I can't wait till we're looking back on Revelation and we go, why didn't I see that Amazon was the beast? Anyway, uh, I'm just kidding. I don't know about that. Anyway, <laughs> um, but as we read the Bible, there's just two things that I want to suggest because I think these are really helpful. When you're reading a verse... Read other verses and other passages to help you understand what you're reading. Don't just take one verse and make that your theology. People get in a lot of trouble doing that. And I thought John Jenks did such a good job. I don't know if you were here when he preached a sermon on women in leadership from the Bible. And he is someone that's shifted in his opinion of that because of what he was taught. But he gave so many different scriptures, and it was so helpful because otherwise, you read Paul saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over men, and you go, well, that's it. Paul's saying that. But what I learned is, like, in the Greek, it's actually, I am not now permitting. But in some of our translations, that doesn't say that. So you wouldn't know that if you didn't do more study and if you didn't see that Paul also worked with women in his ministry, that, uh, that the, the head of the Philippian church was Lydia. She was the first one who was converted, and it was at her house that the, the church began to meet, that Priscilla and Aquila were contemporaries of Paul, and Priscilla's name is always first, and I've even heard arguments. Well, I think that was actually a guy's name back then, but really, I mean, Paul was with women, so then you have to, like, think about that and think about that verse. What was he saying in this context? Well, maybe he was talking about the fact that women weren't allowed in synagogue, so they knew nothing. Why would they start teaching right away? That doesn't make any sense at all. Have them learn first. And so you begin to understand more of what the Bible is saying about all these things by reading other verses. And you have to do that to understand the heart behind what's being said. And then the next thing is, and I think this is going to, I told John, I think this is going to be my next book, is the next verse. I don't know about you, but I get these uh, verses that I love. Do, does anyone have like favorite verses and you've put them in places in your house and you just love? Well, for me, one of my very favorite verses when my life fell apart 
was Isaiah 50.10. This was before I met Jerry. My life hasn't fallen apart since Jerry. Um, <laughs> but, but before that, I went through a really uh, big uh, blow up of an engagement and just really hard time just before I came here to Ocean Hills. But in my journal, for five years, at the beginning of my journal, I wrote the same verse. It was Isaiah 50.10, and it's this. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on your God. And boy, I just meditated on that verse. I've just got to trust, even though I'm in the dark, I don't understand what God's doing. And I was in the middle of my story. I didn't know it then. But it was three years in to writing that verse in my journal that I finally read the next verse, Isaiah 50, 11. And here's what it says. It says, but woe to you, who light your own fires and provide your own torches. This is what you will receive. You will lie down in torment. Now, I will tell you, I've never shared that verse on social media. But as you're thinking about that verse in light of Isaiah 50.10, it's actually a lot of wisdom. Because Isaiah 50.10 says, wait. Trust in the Lord when you're in the dark. Wait for him. The next verse is what happens when we don't wait. You know what, God? I'm tired of waiting. I've waited long enough. We have an example of that in the Old Testament of Abraham and Sarah. I mean, God promised them a child, but after a while, it grew ridiculous. I mean, they were a 90 and 100. There was no way this was still going to happen. And that's why they recruited Hagar, because Sarah decided to help God, which I often do too. Sometimes I think he needs my help. But there are so many times when I've done that and I've gone ahead of what I think God is really doing and I haven't waited for what he is doing and I've messed things up. And I don't know if you've been there, but I have created my own torment by doing that. And so it is this dance of waiting with God, working with God, but knowing that he's going to lead. We're not supposed to lead him. He's supposed to lead us. The next verse can be so helpful as we're reading the Bible and, and asking it to speak into our life. And so I thought, well, I can't do today's sermon and not read the next verse after the verse I just preached on. So it was really interesting when I read this verse, and I just want to read, I'm, I'm actually going to read a couple of the verses. This is what Paul says to Timothy after he said, all scripture is God-breathed. Here's what he says. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. That was written a long time ago. 
Sometimes we think, gosh, you know, the stuff in the Bible doesn't really apply to us today. It's amazing how much universal truth is in this book. But I want to be clear as I end this sermon today. This isn't God. This is what points to God. This is one of the tools that God has used to communicate who he is. This is filled with love letters. This is filled with all kinds of people relating to the same God that you and I are relating to all these years later. And there's so much wisdom in this book. It's kind of why I stopped writing books about other things and started writing books about God's word because it's the only thing that lasts through time. There's something about this book, but it's not because this book is God. It's because this book points to God and we can trust that the God who's behind this book is the God that wants to know you. And this is one of the ways that he has divinely chosen for us to know him. So my hope, church, is that we will take advantage of that. And each Sunday as we come here and we hear things that bother us, confuse us, inspire us, that we would actually leave from here and know that church begins when we leave this place. That's what makes this come alive. Let's pray. As the band comes up, I just want to invite you to take a moment. And I'm just going to be quiet for a minute and just let the word do its work. I want to encourage you that what you're hearing right now in the silence is God speaking to you. Whatever it was that stood out, whatever words you heard, however you were encouraged, however you were bothered, don't miss what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. God, as we come before you, understanding that we're um, mixed in our feelings, maybe even some people sitting here today mixed in their feelings about what they even think or believe about your word. But God, I thank you for the, the gift that it is to us. And I thank you for, gosh, the amazing work it's done in this world, how it's moved people to do things that have been so great, that it continues to move people today to love when it's hard, to give when it's scary, to have their lives changed 
when people around them are going to wonder what in the world is happening. All of these things are still happening today, God. You are not the God of yesterday and old stories. You are the God of today. And we just saw all these second graders receive your word. And this is going to continue even after we're gone from this place. Lord, I just pray that we would be moved this morning to do more than just hear, but they would, that we would actually do what you're calling us to do. That is where we are going to feel the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And I thank you for giving us Jesus, who gives us such hope even beyond this world. We love you. And we just ask for you to continue to move and work as we sit and receive. Amen. I invite you to stand with us.